When did discipleship in the Christian sense get divorced from Jesus' most primary new commandment that we're to love one another as he has loved us? Right? And, and the way that that works is that he loved us by dying for our sins. So I love you not because he's put me under a responsibility to love you. I love you in the sense that I recognize that God Almighty views you as we're dying for. Therefore Now Ministries presents the following message with Jim McNeely, the director and founder of Therefore Now Ministries, with Dax Swanson, pastor of Grace Church Bellingham in Bellingham, Washington. This is podcast number six, Discipleship Under Grace. It was recorded April the 23rd, 2014 at Grace Church Bellingham in beautiful Bellingham, Washington. Enjoy. All right, hello. This is Jim McNeely with, and we're here to talk about discipleship. discipleship. (laughs) Um, I was interested in talking to you, Dax, about discipleship in light of uh, a sermon you recently did um, going through Luke on uh, Jesus' method of discipleship, especially in light of uh, when Jesus denied him three times and Jesus' prayer for him. Can you talk about that for a second? Sure. I just think that if you're going to talk discipleship, and here we are going to speak about what it looks like, is I want to know what it is. What is it? What do you think discipleship actually is? Is it just is it getting better in Christ is what it is? Or what do you, how do you say, okay, discipleship, what is it, McNeely? Um, do that first. Well, you know. Do we have a definition? Yeah, we have Matthew 10, 25. Jesus says, it's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Okay. Um of course, he's talking about the, uh, in context, he's talking about the uh, um, the Pharisees because they've accused him of having a demon. And he says, if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of the household? So he's saying that if they have persecuted the master, they're also going to persecute the disciples. Okay. But, you know, he's saying that a disciple is someone who is... To, is tr- at least trying to or on the path to becoming like his teacher. There's a teacher-student relationship going on. Okay, so I guess what you're getting at is discipleship in some sense is a teaching relationship or between a, a teacher, a discipler, and a disciplee. That's true. There's also, you know, I'm just looking at the verse there. Uh, there's also an aspect of becoming like. Okay. So the discipler helping the disciple to become more like the discipler. Yeah. Okay. So in this sense, then if, if Jesus is the one discipling, then he's helping his disciples, the ones following him become more like him. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, that might fit in a little bit with when most people think say discipleship, I think they think great commission. I'm going to go there and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've told you. Or 
right. those sorts of things. So this idea and baptizing them, the, the idea being to grow them in the likeness of their discipler. Right. Okay. So then we're going to define discipleship somewhat as being more Christ-like, which has some implications for me that maybe aren't true, but, but I'm happy to go there initially. Because to me, the idea is, if we're going to say discipleship, it's it's growing in the, the, the commands of Jesus, is a good way to say it, or to grow in our uh, maturity. But yeah. to say that is to grow in Christ. Because a Christian has a particular thing. We don't just follow Christ. We the number one thing that we're described in the Bible is in Christ. So we're going to say discipleship. It's to me sort of, there's this great truth of scripture, if you will, the gospel, which is God loves you unconditionally and stands ready to forgive you entirely as a gift. Mm -hmm. And that reality that Jesus taught, Mm -hmm. believing in Jesus and loving one another flowing out of that, the sort of whole simple discipleship kind of idea rests on the message of scripture. So, this idea to me is we have to grow in our maturity and understanding what the truth is of Scripture. Right. So in some senses you say, well, what's the metric by which you measure that? And right. this becomes very important for discipleship because if how you measure your metric is that you are after a certain set of behaviors, well, that's I can, one metric. That's true. I mean, for instance, I can tell you right now that measuring it, yeah. I, I am way more humble than you are. I can tell that too. You're a humble man, <laughs> but, but I can also tell you you're somewhat proud of being humble. Which yeah, uh, kind of ruins the whole thing. I don't know. I'm less proud of it than most people, <laughs> and that's going to get you a long way. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> no, um, no, but seriously, if I think that growing in discipleship is increasing my personal righteousness, my personal holiness, my personal stamina, my personal determination, my personal goodness, my personal zeal. I mean, how are we going to mark growing into something? Okay, what about your personal uh, list of miracles you performed? Yeah, you you interacted with that recently, huh? Yeah. Discipleship is doing miracles. Yeah, discipleship is healing the sick and raising dead. If you're becoming like Jesus, yeah, that's the to me. It's it's the wrong piece is becoming like Jesus. The right piece is that you're in Christ, because that's the definition of the Christian. We're in Christ. Right. And sort of the, the understanding and maturing and even bearing fruit in that relationship is what discipleship is about. So here's something I've been thinking about. Let me uh, tell me what you think of this. At the root of the idea of discipleship, I would say, I'm speculating. Okay. Is the idea of obedience. Okay. And I have always balked. I'm confessing here. Okay. I've always balked at the idea of obedience because I don't like people telling me what to do. Right? I want to think that I freely choose things. Right? And I want to think that I'm kind of thinking my own thoughts. I just don't like the idea of that I have to obey. And I've come to the thought that obedience is actually entering rest because you're resting on the authority of another. And obedience, in a way, is kind of a death because you're saying, I'm giving up my agenda. I'm giving up my means of getting there 
I'm giving up my uh, my brilliance and my genius of dreaming up how how well I'm going to perform and how well I'm going to do things, and I'm going to submit to the humility of of following someone else's agenda, and in a way, instead of me, you know, being the one who thinks different, I'm going to think the same. I'm going to think what God thinks. I'm going to have the mind of Christ, not my own mind. And so uh, there is a rest that you enter into because since I'm obeying, and it's not my agenda anymore, if anyone has problems with what I'm doing, if I'm really obeying it, the real the real uh, ire of it rests with the person whom I'm obeying and not with myself. Sure. And I think all of these ideas are at the root of discipleship because the more that you enter into this kind of uh, carrying your cross as entering your rest kind of thing, that it's no longer I who live but Christ. Sure. Then... Um, you're, that's the real kind of arena where true discipleship really lives, I think. Right, and I, I think if you get the base right, which is what what is it, and if it's maturity in your dependence on Jesus Christ rather than another metric, like you're growing in your own personal righteousness or your own personal holiness, if you can, if you can really get what it means to be in Christ and you start to mature in that, Sure, it leads to rest because that's you maturing into understanding that that there's a rest in what Jesus has done for you, and that's a wonderful maturity that you don't have anxiety because people are stricken with anxiety and it's a mark of immaturity. Right? I mean, that's Jesus told you. Yeah, right. The commands: be anxious for nothing, and yet we're anxious all the time. And so here you say, no. As I grow in my understanding of what the gospel really is, it decreases my anxiety. Hey, that's a mark of growth in discipleship. The difficulty is, is that instead of doing that, so many people are off saying, here's what radical growth means. Read your Bible more, pray more, go to church more, give more money. I mean, whatever the sort of externals are, if you just do these means, almost like a turning a crank on a machine, you're going to produce discipleship. But right. that's not really how Jesus did discipleship. And what he, I mean, as far as talking in John 15 about abiding or talking about rejoicing, well, what did they rejoice in? Not that they could do, not that demons responded to them, but that their names were written in heaven and they'd be with Jesus. So yeah. this idea that you grow in your understanding, of that's your life. This is discipleship. Right. I, I think a lot of the things where people are, talk about discipleship, it's kind of like if you said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I have this car and I'm going to drive it. And they're like, oh. And then I say, see, it's a really nice car. It has four wheels. I just got new wheels. And it's got all these things. And you're talking about the car. It's like, well, where are you going to drive? Like, oh, well, it's not about that. It's about the car, right? It's like, no. It's more about where you're going and why. And the car is a means to get there. And you can have a really nice car or a really bad car. You may even have a car that's not capable of getting you to where you're going, but the thing that's really important is where you're going and why. And I think that the meat of discipleship is more about where you're going and why that's right. instead of what 
what mechanical means you're using to facilitate that. Sure. There might be excellent means that are mechanical, but, but you have to understand your underlying piece. So maybe I pr propose this. This is from Eugene Peterson, the long obedience in the same direction. See, he's into obedience too. Yeah. And he proposes this as his definition. I still hate obedience, by the way. I haven't really made my peace there. Okay. Well, then. Confessing. Come back. Christian discipleship is a process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness and less and less attention to our own. What do you think? Christian yeah. discipleship is a process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness and less and less attention to our own, i.e., stop staring at your navel and be overwhelmed with what God has done for you. Well, and in a way, it fits this definition of that uh, a discipleship is to become like his teacher, right? Kind of. I just think that that's, that's insufficient for me. Well, let's put it like this, because okay. I was looking at the uh, the 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 nature of Jesus' obedience. Okay. All right? And he said that he only does what he sees the Father doing. Okay. Right? And he doesn't do anything on his own initiative, but only what the Father asks him to do. We see these statements all through the Gospel of John. Constantly he's talking about, it's not me, but... And ultimately, in Gethsemane, we see him, not my will, but but yours be done. Right, and and so we so see this ridding of self peace, kind of, or this ridding of a self focus is what you're after. Yeah, it's it's. Okay, uh, I mean, you know, you can make a law of that, but on the other hand, it's it's a gift in your inner. That's what I guess that was the insight I had. It's actually, if you turn around and look at it as a gift, it's a gift of entering into rest and of actually believing that there is kindness. And grace that there is going to be resurrection after the death, right. right? And and when you have that level of trust that that's where God is taking you and that's what God is doing with you, then you can settle in and stop worrying about quite a number of the details that you have to if you are forging your own righteousness and you're forging your own, you know, quote obedience and you're forging your own. Uh, Agenda, Right, and I guess what I was after is, and, and why I want us to have some clarity, is to say, okay, if we accept this as our, you know, whether it's Eugene Peterson or, or just more simply, that discipleship in Christ is a growing dependence on Jesus Christ. Yeah. So your understanding of that you're in Christ and you grow in your dependence on that, that it, it prevents you from, why, why it matters, why this is important, why we're having this podcast, is that what it does is, is it pulls you practically away from sort of what I would call some churchy discipleship models that are actually very harmful because what they are is it's a huge self-focus. We're Americans with this individualistic focus, but the church does too. It's like narcissistic. And so if you're looking at improving yourself as the metric, whether that's in your righteousness, your holiness, whatever you want to say there, but it's about you, then you're task-driven. Like you got to make sure you did that or else. Right. You're sort of hectic. You're like almost, you can be frantic about I gotta get this done, or else you're you're very guilt oriented because you don't live up to what you should be ever, and so you have this sort of overarching, I would say, arc to your life that is not actually discipleship. It's all you running circles. It's all frenetic effort, right? Versus if you actually have this focus of saying, "Okay, my I need to in, increase in my dependence on Jesus and realize that I'm in Him." 
and this is the functional center of my life, then I can be relationship-oriented because it's about my relationship with Jesus. It's about me actually being freed up to love people rather than sort of build myself up, if you will, make sure I'm Mm -hmm. pure because I'm pure through Christ, not because I'm somehow not touching you or something. Right. And then Christ is our rest. Jesus is our rest. It's true. There's another aspect, too, to be... That grace is the necessary environment to be released into discipleship. Because if you don't have this very strong assurance that you are accepted, that you are beloved, that you have been eternally justified in an unbreakable way, then you are constantly still grasping after your own significance. That's right. And so you don't have the wherewithal, you don't have the resources to be able to let go of all that and say, okay, I'm significant enough in the eyes of God to be died for. And so I don't have to worry about creating my own significance anymore. Therefore, I can be a disciple of someone else. Sure. I can be a disciple of Christ instead of being my own kind of CEO. Yeah, I think it's very important in discipleship that you begin more and more to live in the reality that's true. And the reality that's true is that you are totally accepted in Jesus Christ. Yeah. That you have to believe that. And yet, honestly, we don't. Or we'd act differently than we do. Oh, yeah. So discipleship is about that. And that's why it's interesting to me, maybe to transition a bit into... It's interesting to me how Jesus did discipleship because I think it's radical. Yeah, I wanted to get back to this. And, and to me, this is kind of the center maybe of, of our talk today is, okay, so here's here's our Savior, and he's growing up as guys. Well, the main guy that we have an example of in the Bible is Peter. And Peter was the best of the best. That guy was awesome. Peter was the primo. He, he walked, was he the— He walked on water. Right. He like He's always first in all the lists of the disciples. He—, he was first to confess Christ. Jesus actually turned to him, whether you think it was, you know, his confession or whatever. He turned to him. He said, Peter, you're a rock. And on that rock, I'm going to build my church. And he's looking straight at Peter. You're talking about the main guy. So he would be like, if he, if he was the disciple, he'd be the A-plus disciple. And so you wonder, well, okay, well, how did Jesus prepare him? How did Jesus grow him in discipleship? And that's really interesting. And I know what I'd expect. i say, okay, well, he had some special things with Peter to say, okay, Peter early morning Bible study, late night prayer meetings, lots of discipline of your flesh and beating yourself up. Make sure you're personally holy because, man, this is where it's at for you to grow. Right. And we see none of that. Right. And we actually see him kind of falling asleep while Jesus prays, which is part and parcel of the disciples. They couldn't do what Jesus could do. Right. And there's no guarantee. Okay, so he's a disciple of Jesus, so somehow he's, he's going to be able to do what Jesus did? Well, I think that's overstepping. So in that sense, I think this idea of discipleship as being like Jesus is actually a little bit of a fallacy because what we are is in Christ and dependent on him and growing in our understanding of that. So so here we have Peter, right? And you know this. Okay, so you know the story. What is the story? Go ahead. <laughs> okay, well, it's it's one every grade school student knows. It's, it's Peter's kind of excitedly... After Jesus saying, man, Jesus, even if everyone leaves you, I won't leave you, Jesus, because he's so sold out for Jesus. You think, this guy, he's the mature disciple. He's the one who's 
growing. And, and actually, no, what he's going to do, what Jesus does is, he's going to grow Peter in discipleship. Remember, we said discipleship was discipleship is dependence on Jesus alone, practically. So it's not like pie in the sky. It's not like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, just grow in Jesus, let go, let God, or something like that. No, this is practically, how does it mean to grow in your dependence on Jesus, thinking that this is what discipleship is? And so this is what Jesus actually does. He says to Peter, he says, you're going to abandon me, right? We know this is true, and we know he did it. He said, I'm going to... You're going to deny me three times. Three times, and everybody knows the story, and the, the plays Before out. the cock crows, right. Jesus is there, and he gets taken, and, and Peter goes through this thing where he's like, no, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. But the interesting thing that we skip over is that Peter, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But then he says... Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But, Jesus says, I have prayed for you that when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. Okay, stop for a minute. Right. What is Jesus doing? Well, I I have to say. Yeah, what are the things that Jesus could have prayed? I I know it's a bad prayer. That's like right. I think it's a bad Wait, prayer. Jesus, you pray the it's like prayer. Jesus, pray for him not to get sifted like wheat. Right. Pray right. for him to get protected with a you know supernatural yeah. bubble. Pray for him to persevere and not deny you. Right. Pray for him to to be kept from sin at the very least. Right. Pray for that. Pray Don't, that no one might ask any questions that might poke him too strong. Right. It's like Jesus. Don't pray in a way that lets Satan get his way. So actually, Jesus looks at Peter and says, I'm going to pray that when you return, that you will return, and that Satan won't have his way with you. But that's almost, it's an acknowledgement. The prayer itself is a statement of failure, the statement of sin, the statement of Jesus kind of saying, I'm not going to prevent sin from happening in your life. And it's incredible. It's incredible because what it's saying is Jesus foreknew that Peter was going to deny him and miserably fail at the crucial hour of discipleship. And he didn't pray for that to not happen. Right, and the interesting thing is, is so then you have Peter actually doing that and falling and sinning, and then Jesus looks at him, and then Peter is left there weeping bitterly. And in Luke, anyway, where this account occurs, you don't see Peter again until the resurrection. So... You don't actually get any resolution of that. You just have him, Jesus Christ, alone, standing in the courtyard, taken in captivity, looking at his disciple who has abandoned him and left him. And Jesus, who could have prevented that, did not even pray for it. And you got to know that Peter is a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is not abandoning Peter Jesus is growing him. So, what does that tell us for discipleship? You know? it, it says something. It it says, well, okay, there's a further aspect of this, too. Yeah. And I just love this. And I I, I think I heard Tolian Chavijan preaching on this. And I just loved it. And I really have thought about it. Um, at the end of the Gospel of John, we have Peter... In in Jesus, and Jesus resurrected, you know, and then Jesus says, he he calls out Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yeah, you know I love you. It's like, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. 
<clears throat> tend to my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then he's really moved and he says, you know, of course I love you. It's like, feed my sheep. Well, what's going on there? Here's what's going on. After he had truly and miserably and very clearly failed Christ, very badly failed him, and very much doubted his ability to be the cornerstone of the church, and very badly doubted his qualification to feed the sheep and tend the lambs. With good reason. With very good reason. That's right. Right? He's, he, he, by all rights, he should have been stripped of his authority and stripped of his leadership. Right. And that was a doubt that was still operative in his mind. And Jesus affirmed and not only drew from Peter's own lips that he loved him, but he reaffirmed his leadership and gave him back the keys to being the cornerstone of the church. He reaffirmed his authority and set him back on mission. And we always view obedience and and mission as being uh, these onerous things that are pressed upon us that we have to, you know, it, it's all wrapped up in discipleship and in obedience, right? right. And in, in, in reality, when we're set on mission and given authority to do things, God does it as a thing to affirm that he is with us, that he loves us, that he has not rejected us, and he's doing the very thing that our heart rejoices in by granting us the authority all over again to go out and tend his sheep and feed his lambs. I think that's true. And, and I also would say that's super important here because because Jesus doesn't say there, you're talking about the end of John, Jesus doesn't say back to Peter. He doesn't say, Peter, will you not abandon me again? Peter, have you learned your lesson that you won't deny right. me ever? Peter, will you stop sinning? Will you be a more holy Peter than you were before? None of that passes Jesus' lips. Right. Because Peter's problem was, is that he was trusting, and if you read Luke, it comes out real strongly because Peter's the one that grabs the sword and wants to fight. That that Peter's trusting in his own zeal, his own sincerity, his own self. He thinks that what it means to be a disciple is to be passionately making effort for Jesus, i.e. it's grounded in your own sense of behavior. That's what he's doing. His right. own ability is his security. And what Jesus exactly. has done in his failure, and this happens for us too, this is discipleship, is to break yourself of your self-focus and your self-reliance and move you, this is discipleship and growth in it, to increasing dependence on Jesus because Jesus is where it's at. And so his question for Peter is, Peter, do you love me? I.e., am I your focus, Peter? Peter, do you see that I'm your only hope? And when he says yes, then he gives him a task. But he doesn't say he's even going to do the task well. I, I mean, the whole point is, is do you have A? You have A? Okay, here's the task B that I, I'm going to give you. But, I, I mean, there's no sense of, and you better do that well or else. Kind of, It's just a response. Right, right. And further, I think that if you haven't seen this in, in, in John, you should. To back up you know, just a little bit from when Jesus talks to him. So what happens it's a remarkable thing because John's written, we think, you know, 20 years later at least than Luke. Mm-hmm. So if you're out in the boondocks and looking through scrolls and you read Luke, you'd be a little bit like, 
what happened to Peter? What happened? Because we left him there crying. And he was running around the resurrection some and interacted with Jesus, but there's no resolution. He's a fallen disciple. Yeah. So 20 years later, you get the story again, and Peter's off fishing. He's not serving Jesus. He's like, we're out of here with the guys. I'm off fishing. Right, I, I give up. I give up, and he's out fishing again, and Jesus does the same miracle that he called him with. But the interesting thing to me is this, and just to bring out really briefly from the text, is the text is really specific, and it says that um, Jesus gave this miracle. They had fish again. You know, He provided the fish for Peter out there, and their nets are full again, just like the first time back in Luke 5. Yeah. But but what happens is is that Peter sees Jesus. He jumps and swims to shore. He's excited to see Jesus. And the text says Jesus makes him breakfast. So Jesus makes the fish because it's a fish meal. That's what they would have. So Jesus has fish already, cooks it. It's ready for Peter. And then he turns to Peter. He says, Peter, I need you to give me some fish. He doesn't need his fish. Jesus doesn't need anything from Peter. He's already made him breakfast. Right. It's really interesting text why he would even say, Peter, give me your fish. I have need of it. When when it are, the text says he made a breakfast already. So I think it's a remarkable thing where the reality is Jesus does it all. Jesus makes the breakfast. Jesus provides for you. Jesus does it all. And you're growing in your dependence on that. And yet our God dis- condescends. It's a condescension. It's a, it's a joy to him just because he loves us to say, hey, man, I want to use you. I want, here's some, hey, give me some fish because I want to use it. He doesn't need it. Right. <laughs> like that's, and so you have this whole thing where our Lord, who's so kind to us, gives us stuff to do. It's real stuff to do. But it's because he, we're in this school of discipleship with him where he grows us in our dependence on Jesus. And this is discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it has a lot of relevance. Uh, to our day-to-day walk, because, um, for instance, there's a wonderful book, oh, I wish I could remember the author, called Extravagant Grace. You should look it up. Uh, Dupuis, Dupuis, I've read it. Sure. And she draws, apparently she draws, the author, she draws a lot of her ideas from uh, John Owen. Sure. But um, her the thesis she has is that if at the point of your salvation, God had wanted to truly strip you completely of all propensity to ever sin again. He could certainly have done that. That's right. But you're, it's kind of like uh, uh, the Israelites entering the promised land and, you know, there's a few, uh, there's a few of the, you know, the ites still left in the land. And it's kind of a test, Right. And I don't know if it works like that, but there's still, he leaves on purpose sin for us to struggle with and wonder about because it causes us to still trust in Christ and not that we've suddenly become superhuman. Yeah, and you're talking about extravagant grace. It's Barbara DeGuid. She's she's using... um, Yeah. Uh, John Newton mostly. Oh, John Newton. But, excuse me. But, uh, but but I know what you're talking about. Thank you. But uh, the main piece to that that I think is super important and people need to understand is pursuit of personal holiness is fine. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Right. The problem is putting at the center of your discipleship that you think somehow that that's the center. And what it does is it makes God the means to your end. The end is your personal holiness. God is the means to do that. No, the, instead of true discipleship, which is the end is God. And the things that you right. do are means 
for God, for your increasing dependence on Christ. So it's not about you becoming super. In fact, the Bible says that straight up, straight up, you have in the Bible. It says if you say you don't sin, present tense, you're a liar. You're a liar, right? The truth is not in you. And then you have Paul saying, I am, present tense, the worst of sinners. So yeah. here's proof in the Bible that you continue to have sin ongoing in your Christian life that you do not have, quote, victory over. And so people that kind of say, hey, when you're a Christian, you should, over however many years of your life, slowly be out of sin. Why? They got to deal with Paul. They don't deal with us. You have to deal with Paul saying, I'm the chief of sinners, present tense, after he's already been. Well, and you know, First John 1, right, sure. uh, you know, if we say that we have no sin, we're, we're a liar and the truth's not in us. Yeah, and that's not to say that God doesn't deliver us from sin or take habits and the Holy Spirit helps us grow out of them. That's miraculous when he does and it's so good that he does. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is how are you trusting in Jesus and realizing more and more that you're in him and letting that impact your living, your daily life. So it's almost like grace in real life kind of stuff. It's yeah. discipleship because it's growing and understanding that you're depending on Christ. And I'm reminded also of uh, Hebrews 12. Uh, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also have every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangle us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you've forgotten the uh, exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. Right? So for whoever the Lord loves, he disciplines. Whoever he scourges, every son he receives. So So the point is that we're always in need of confession. We're always in need of correction. The implication there is that None of the readers of the book of Hebrews have resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. So so the standard of the cross always is before us as the ultimate example of anti-idolatry and discipleship and obedience and perfection. Yeah, and the, the passage you just read, the idea isn't, oh, you bum. You haven't yet resisted to the point of blood. Go strive harder to do that. The point is, you didn't, but Jesus Jesus did. did. And you need to appropriate that and be in him, and, and that will lead you towards personal holiness or towards, towards those things. That's totally okay, but you can't miss that the engine is that. It's not you becoming that yourself. It's like, oh, go out there and shed blood for sin, and then you've made it. No, there's only one sacrifice for sin. And his name is Jesus, and he atoned for it all. And that's what you have to believe and apply that in your life. And this is a this is a lifelong process to me of, of growth. And I want to say one more thing, which is because I've seen this. I've seen people do this. They say, okay, this is discipleship. Discipleship is, on the one hand, understanding that Jesus' holiness is applied to you, that Jesus did it, that it's his sanctification. 
And on the other hand, the other wing of the plane that, to make you fly is your effort to get it up there and to get the, that going. And so you have that two things that's going to make your plane fly in discipleship, if you will, that you can get off the ground with an understanding of what Jesus did and personal effort on your part, two wings of the plane. Hogwash. There's a total hogwash from, the, from a biblical perspective. Because the Bible never says these are two things that you do. Are you kidding? I think that the interesting thing about Christianity is it's that we're in Christ. It's about our union. So here's the plane. You get on it. The wings are what Christ has done for you. Both wings. It's all about the, the, the righteousness of Christ and the holiness of Christ and the atonement of Christ and the justification. All these big words we throw out. you know. Mm-hmm. But it's all Jesus Christ. And the reality is... You're the guy sitting on the plane looking out the window and you just get overwhelmed that you're flying. It's amazing. We get to fly. That births in you this amazing gratitude and then you're very willing, in fact excited, to go grab a glass of water and give it to the guy next to you who's thirsty because you're so overwhelmed that you're flying. You'll do anything for anyone. You'll want to love everybody around you. So this personal effort comes, but it comes as a consequence of what's already happened that you're in the air not to get you in the air. And it's a terrible thing when we try and make sort of the pursuit of personal holiness or what's sometimes called progressive sanctification and weave that back into what's been done for us in Christ Jesus. Yeah, it's a cart before the horse it is. kind of thing. But, it, but it, it's a terrible thing because you put people back under guilt and, and, and either, either pride or despair when they can or can't do what they're supposed quote supposed to do well i think that the that the thing also that we're getting at is that at the heart of the christian biblical idea of discipleship is that jesus christ is the teacher he's the discipler he's the one who's in charge of it and so even with this hebrews 12 thing the solution, he's saying, don't be shocked when you need, uh, uh, when you uh, need discipline, because you're going to need discipline, sure. because it is the Lord who's in charge of your discipleship. Sure. He's the one teaching. And so you're going to need the discipline. You're going to, and it, and it is in love. It's just like with Peter, where... You know, we think, oh, no, I'm zealous. I'm going to take charge of this. I'm not going to fail like those other people are. Well, you are. And in fact, it may be that Satan has demanded some kind of thing to sift you. Right, actually. And and in fact, Jesus may, as your advocate at the right hand of the Father, may not have prayed the prayer you wanted him to pray. Right. Right? He may have prayed a prayer that you will fail, and then when you're restored, then you'll have learned the humility to be of any service at all to anyone. That's right. And I think that's the key thing, is is that Christ is in charge, and he's alive, and he lives to intercede for us. And so what he prays happens. If he asks his dad something, it's going to happen, and he's got you. And this idea that's so damaging is if we leave the idea of discipleship, as dependence on him, which is what it is, and we go towards some external metric like my own personal righteousness instead of Christ, then it, it just warps that all over the place because because it means that 
that it's all up to me. I'm back on a me focus instead of it being about Jesus. Well, it also becomes a veneer always. Like for instance, I'm doing re- I'm reading through the Bible in a year program with with my wife, right? Yeah. And inevitably, it gets down to where it's a check what mark on my to-do list and I get through it and I read it as fast as I can possibly get through it. And 30 minutes later, if you ask me, what did you get out of your reading in Leviticus today? I couldn't tell you what I read to save my life. Right? So of what value is my success at my so-called personal holiness that I'm keeping up with it? The problem is with almost right. all accountability relationships, and maybe not everyone, but I can almost say all, having personally walked through some, is that they they all promote an unhealthy dynamic, which is either what you're talking about, which is you get through the task to get through the task, you check it off. That happens a lot. Yeah. Or it promotes lying and not telling the truth because someone's going to talk to you. Or thirdly, it promotes um, behaviorism that's driven by fear of man. Because if I'm going to sit here and say, okay, oh no, I'm meeting with Jim for personal accountability in half an hour. I better read my Bible. Why did I read my Bible? That's acting like reading my Bible is the end. But the, the, the end is my relationship with God, right? That's the end. So reading my Bible in and of itself does nothing to me if I did it out of fear of Jim. Right. That did nothing for me. And so, unfortunately, you set that up for people where here's your personal whole, personal accountability thing where you're supposed to be afraid of the direct questions that your questioner is going to question you about. And so you're doing it to answer the questioner. <laughs> what is that? Right. I, I'm constantly going back to that, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Sure. And it's like, okay... In in, in 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 discipleship relationships I've been in, you know, where where I was kind of the discipler, right? Right. I'm, I've had guys who are like, "Well, I haven't really been reading my Bible and praying enough." It's like, you know, listen, if you haven't come to the place where you see the scriptures as a treasure that, from joy over it, you're selling everything else to get. Right. That it's an honest passion for you. Right. And then if you're going to wake up and dive into the scripture, that it doesn't seem like Christmas morning and you're a five-year-old kid, right. then you're you're looking at this wrong. Right. Because it's not just that you're, that's some kind of mind trick. It is like that. The scriptures are a treasure of that magnitude. Right. And what we tend to do is we tend to sort of grab at little um, proof texts in scripture to try and, and make discipleship something different than it is. For example, in this case, you might say, well, but, but, but Dax, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I need someone to help me keep my spirit strong so that I can keep my flesh low. But the flesh in Scripture is not um, immorality, per se. The flesh, if you read Galatians, or you read the, it's, it's your own self-focus. So having someone come alongside you to say, do this, your flesh is weak. It's going to get pulled towards pleasing that person instead of pleasing God. So you actually have this dynamic you set up because you misunderstood the scriptures that you start to do things that are actually feeding your flesh when you think you're being holy. And that's a terrible trap. It is. And you know, another thing about all this, this is probably the last thing I had to say about it. 
is that inevitably discipleship becomes aligned with some kind of personal discipline and it becomes devo- and it becomes a, a duty and a task and a, and a thing like that and when did discipleship in the Christian sense get divorced from Jesus's most primary new commandment that we're to love one another as he has loved us, right? Response. And, and the way that that works is that he loved us by dying for our sins. So I love you. Not because he's put me under a responsibility to love you. I love you in the sense that I recognize that God Almighty views you as worth dying for. Right? right? And you view me as somebody that God Almighty has viewed worthy of dying for. So we're worthy of the death of the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. I esteem you greatly. Right. And it grieves the spirit if I tear you down. That's the you That's the right. And discipleship makes absolutely no sense whatsoever outside of that context. So it is only belief in Christ and him crucified that is the groundswell of true love discipleship. Totally agree. I, I think you're you're kind of quoting First John. It says, hey, this is the commandment is to believe in Jesus and love one another. And they're so closely tied. It's called one commandment. You know, it's so clearly closed. Right. So I agree with that. I think that the closing thing for me would be that it's to reaffirm what the definition of discipleship is, which is a growing, increasing dependence on Jesus Christ. And to affirm to people who might be listening that that will lead to action. It will. But but you got to know that that's the center. You can't put your action in the center and somehow try and stick personal holiness or personal righteousness or personal whatever in there too because what you're actually doing is destroying dependence on Jesus when you do that. It's almost like when you add law to gospel or law to grace. You have grace and add a condition in. Well, guess what? It's not grace anymore. So this idea that if you can sort of focus on you and grow in dependence on Jesus... And if we just look at what Jesus did, he wouldn't do it. He said to Peter, I'm going to let you fail because that's how you're going to come back around and depend on me alone. Right. That's the discipleship. I'm going to let you fail and I'm going to and when you return, still with love you. you. I'm going to keep you. I'm with you when you're down in the dumps. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. Guess what? He's not strengthening them in personal quiet times. He's strengthening them in dependence on Jesus in the midst of their failure. That's what he's doing. Bingo. Thank you for listening to this message from Therefore Now Ministries. You can find many more messages and find a schedule of upcoming speaking and teaching and music events, as well as a great wealth of grace-based ministry materials at thereforenow.com.